From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. For many voters, the cost of living is their major current concern. Rising interest rates and high prices for power, groceries and other necessities are hitting in particular lower and middle income people. Nowhere is this more the case than in Sydney's western suburbs. Today, we talk to independent Di Lee, who holds the seat of Fowler in the heart of Sydney's west. Lee was one of the giant killers at the election, defeating Labor's Christina Keneally's bid to move from the Senate into the lower house. Fowler is one of Australia's most diverse electorates and was once considered heartland Labor. Dai Lee, a former Liberal Party member whose family were Vietnamese refugees, is not a teal, but, like the teals, represents the wider movement for community candidates. She is one of a record 17 crossbenchers in the House of Representatives. Recently, she has formed the Dai Lee and Frank Caraboni network with the popular Fairfield City Mayor, and they plan to contest electorates in Western Sydney at the 2025 federal election. In this podcast, we talk to Dai Lee about the feedback on issues from voters on the ground and her experience of operating on the crossbench. We recorded when Parliament was sitting, so please excuse the division bells which rang inconveniently. Dai Lee, have the concerns of voters changed since the election? What feedback are you getting from your people on the ground? Uh, Look, I think since the election, uh, the concerns have heightened uh, in terms of the cost of living, in terms of especially, you know, we've now seen the 12th interest rate rise, in terms of housing affordability, grocery prices, petrol, uh, travelling, obviously where we are in Western Sydney, people travel to a lot, you know, to work or drop their kids off at school and people working in the city, so we use the cars a lot, so therefore the toll as well. It has been a real, I think, challenge for the community in Fowler uh, in, t- in terms of even childcare workers, in terms of, um, you know, teachers, uh, in terms of, you know, we've, I've had consultations with various people from our community about the impact of all of this um, on, on them in the last 12 months. So, yeah, I'll say it has heightened... Absolutely. Just on the question of housing, what more do you think the government should be doing and do you think that the Senate should be passing the bill for the proposed housing fund which would provide $500 million a year for social and affordable housing? Uh, look, I think they should just get the bill um, passed. Um, that said, I think that really... Uh, the government of the day cannot really fix the social housing uh, crisis that we're now facing uh, because I don't believe that homes can be built quickly when this bill gets passed anyway. Um, It's going to take time. I think the solution would be that people, the individuals in the community, the interest, you know, people, the stakeholders, your community housing groups, property council, uh, local council, state government, all of that has to come to the table to see how we can address the lack of housing quickly uh, because waiting for a piece of legislation to fix it is not going to happen. Uh, so even if it gets passed, it's not going to be able to tackle 
uh, what we're facing at the moment in Fowler. My understanding is that we've got about five to 6,000 people waiting on the social housing waiting list. This HAP legislation is supposed to build 30,000 social housing. Now, is that going to address the crisis that we're now facing? And, you know, rent has gone up as well tremendously. And for an area like Fowler, the people who are on low income, finding a, a house or a unit to rent that is affordable is very hard. Fowler is one of Australia's most uh, ethnically diverse electorates. And, of course, there's a big Vietnamese community. What more do you think needs to be done for the various ethnic communities? And in your experience, how much racism is there on the ground in an electorate like this? I have to say that within Fowler, we are, as you said, uh, Michelle, one of the most culturally diverse electorates in the whole country. And because of that, we do actually live very harmoniously together, very cohesive. Um, Of course, you know, you have to encourage that cohesion because we are so different. There are so many different cultures in that one city. So we are, I I love this, the, 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 the line that, you know, we are one, but we are many. And so for me, because of that differences, we are embracing of those differences. I personally have not seen racism on the ground. If, if um, you're asking me if I've seen it, I haven't. I'm sure in the day-to-day, if you ask ordinary people, are there any racism? I think there are more structural racism rather than the personal racism. Structural in terms of people uh, who are from a culturally, ling- linguistically different background, being able to progress through their organisation for senior roles or leadership roles or promotions, they're pos- potentially, because I have heard of that, but that's more in the mainstream organisations rather than within the community itself. In terms of what can be done, I think I think our community faced the same challenges as anyone from across the country, and that is in terms of you know access to uh, you know affordable housing to be able to buy a house, access to be able to you know allow you know give their children the best education. Uh, so that they those children will one day succeed and or will succeed not one day but will succeed and will be able to contribute back to the Australian society. Uh, access to job opportunities. I think one of the I mean Fowler has the I think three times the national average of unemployment, about ten percent. We have the most. Why is that? And I don't know. Uh, I think that what the government could do more is provide opportunities for people to be mm-hmm. upskilled to be retrained uh, so that they can actually be able to contribute back to the workforce. And because the workforce is now, you know, we are growing a bigger workforce in terms of the care economy, as that's called, that is more of a physical job area. So therefore, I don't know how we're going to be able to prepare the young generation to be able to be physically strong to be able to contribute to the care economy in the future but I think there are other opportunities such as technology science engineering maths that we can tap into the diversity of our community so that way they can contribute back to any policies or any decisions that's going to be made uh, for the country or, or for the community or for the state by tapping into a community like ours so our needs are the same you know we, we want to be able to afford to provide for our families, uh, give them a, a, a put a roof over their heads, be able to put you know give them proper food and send them to good school, and you know hopefully they're going to get a good job 
and own a home one day. So those are the, the aspirations that a lot of my community uh, has, you know, have in Fowler. In your maiden speech, you made reference to the lockdown conditions that were imposed on uh, your area during the COVID wave of 2021, and you likened the conditions to a communist dictatorship. What's been the legacy uh, left now uh, from what happened then? Obviously, one of the the many issues that arose out of that lockdown – the mental health issues in terms of our community being locked away. And um, I remember during that period, uh, people from the Khmer community who were calling me to find out, you know, what's what change is happening. And the fear that got triggered because people were told to stay home and not get out of the house. In one case, uh, a young man got COVID and was so scared that uh, because of what he read in the media and what, you know, back then the politicians were saying about, you know, they, they kind of drove this fear into the community. He was too scared to get out of his bedroom because, he, first of all, he didn't want to kill his family. He thought what he's got will kill his family. Uh, secondly, he felt so guilty that he got this a virus that he refused to eat, he refused to drink. So they rang me up, they said, what can we do? How can we get him out of the room? I'm thinking, well, you need to tell him that it's, it's only COVID, that he just had to just keep himself and, and protect himself, but it's not going to kill his parents. So just, you know, get him to eat the food because they said they put the food in front of his door, he will not open. And he was, you know, everybody was stressed out because I don't know who these people were. But all I knew was that they escaped the Khmer, the Pol Pot regime, and that they were so scared about the police coming to the house because he thought that the police was going to come to his house because he's got COVID. Uh, and therefore, they're going to take his parents away, who's going to take him away. So all of these got triggered to a community that had fled tyrannical regimes and communist regimes. So that's why I liken it to it because it's suddenly, like at night I was sleeping and I remember hearing helicopters hovering around midnight and I was anxious because I remember telling my husband, I said, well, I'm not in Vietnam, but, but why am I feeling like at that time when I was hearing this helicopter hovering that I was brought back to that period when I had to hide in our bedroom because of the war in Vietnam. And I thought, hang on, of course, I then told myself, don't be silly, you're in Australia, we're here, we're safe. This is just the police helicopters or, or was it media, you know, floating around trying to find out who was out because if there was a curfew, you can't get out. So while I rationalised that I am in a safe country, part of me got so angry that the government and to, part, to, to a lot of extent the media has created this fear in people like myself who are well informed and were still triggered. And I thought to myself... How then do people who cannot speak English well, who are, are not engaged and are not informed, how do they feel, right? So, and that's obviously came across a lot when I did my maiden speech because that brought it all back for me uh, about how could we have taken our society to this point whereby it's so triggering and not realising that we're triggering, triggering a, back, a large part, a proportion of our community. Did you ever hear the end of the story of the young man? 
uh, yeah, so I followed it. Um, he um, he tried to commit suicide because he was so anxious about it. And the the woman who contacted me, she was a nurse. So I said I, I put him in touch with the then health department minister of health department, and then who then tried to bring through other help to the house, and and they brought in helpers to try and get him out of the room and trying to alleviate the fears and all that stuff. But that continued for months, you know, from not one family, another family. Mm. In a few months, we'll have the referendum on the voice to parliament. Are your locals talking about this issue much? And what would you judge at the moment is majority feeling in your area? And indeed, what is your attitude? Um, So my, uh, my community has not raised... The issue with me uh, has not come to me, has not emailed me about any of the the issue that has we've heard around the voice, and I think that in in any referendum, my understanding is that there has to be both the yes and the no cases be presented to the community, to the people, and I, you know, will rely on the government of the day to present those cases and that that gets sent out to the community. Uh, as once you get back into the electorate, when I do, uh, and I hit the street and talk to people and working. Uh, people come to me to find housing for them, to t- trying to bring their families from uh, the Middle East, to try and find mainly housing really, um, and or, f- or find ways to pay the electricity bills because that's gone up a lot. So those are some of the key issues for me. And um, that's, you know, that's what I come back and try. That's why when I come here, I talk a lot about housing, uh, I talk a lot about education as well because a lot of our young people are about the year 12s are about to leave school. They're telling me how they're going to f- find a job, um, you know, um, what what skills can they develop to get a better job. So those, those are my focus and those are the community's focus. Uh, in terms of my attitude, for me at the moment, it's up to the Australian public. It's, up, you know, mine is just one vote um, and and at the end of the day we go to the ballot box and we vote on the day and, and basically on what, what information gets given to us. So I will vote along with the Australian public for the referendum on the day. But you don't have a public stand at the moment? I do not have a public stand on it. This week the government blocked crossbencher Zoe Daniels' bid to ban gambling ads. Would you like to see greater controls on gambling advertising and do you see it as a, a problem in, in your electorate? I think it's uh, a well-known fact that uh, Fairfield City Council uh, has got one of the highest gambling problem gambling people identified as having problem gambling figure statistics uh, in in the state, if not the country. And we also have, um, I think, uh, the most pokies in the Southern Hemisphere uh, (laughs) concentrated within Fairfield City Council. A dubious Uh, distinction. uh, So... Gambling is absolutely a huge problem for our community in Fowler. Uh, From my perspective, any measures to prevent gambling, problem gambling uh, to increase, as well as any measures to educate the community about the problem of gambling, I will support. Definitely, from my perspective, I understand that, that gambling now is available on the smartphone and our young people have access to smartphone and on the, all the social media that they're on, uh, we can't monitor what our children watch on their smartphone. But my understanding, there's a lot of those 
you know, sometimes when you watch, t- I don't watch TV that much nowadays, but when you do turn it on, you do late nights, you have all those sports tab advertising and it's really irritable because you just think that is not, I don't think it should be allowed. There has to be a, a, another way. I don't know about banning it because I don't think you'll ever get any government ban anything, but there has to be ways and measures to prevent the excessive advertising of gambling and to uh, more investment should be made into educating the younger generation about the problem of gambling. This week in Parliament, the opposition has been preoccupied again with the Brittany Higgins matter, pursuing Katie Gallagher, the finance minister, over allegedly uh, misleading Parliament about uh, what she knew about uh, Ms Higgins' interview before it was broadcast. Will this cut through at all with your constituents? And do you think that the opposition is right to pursue this now or should it be just left in the past? I what, what I would like to say about this whole thing is that for me, the women who have experienced sexual assault uh, and we're not talking about the women who've had access to you know in parliament who are informed about where to go to i'm talking about women who are say in factories on the floor in 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 the other workplaces who've experienced it my message to them is that that while this whole poli- political thing is happening they should still have the courage to reach out to the right avenue when it happens to them and not lose faith that it has been coming so politicised from all sides that the issue at hand has been lost in all of this. Uh, And I think that we need to, I need to bring the focus back on the women majority, but probably also some men. The women who might be looking at this, who might be reading this or seeing this and watching this and feeling like, will my story be taken out of context will it be taken seriously that I want us to be able to tell them to take comfort that put that whole noise aside and I encourage them to still seek go down the path of reporting it when it happens seek counsel to make sure that they have the right person to support them through this process and and have confidence that it can be heard and that is to the people who are not is part of these big institutions that we're part of and that we're now talking about it. So that is my concern now and that's my focus. All I ask for politicians is from both sides is that in the future, I, and, and, and I think there's a lesson to be learned in this, is that when it comes to sensitive matters of sexual allegations, we need to really... And in, in terms of media as well, we need to create a respectful environment so that the person who's alleging or claiming this allegation should be done it done in such a way that the matter can be there's an outcome mm-hmm. uh, and not to becoming like becoming such a from my perspective a circus that it just takes away the seriousness of this whole issue. Let's turn to talking about the crossbench. You're not a teal. How would you distinguish yourself from the teals? You know, the teals don't like to be called the teals. <laughs> <laughs> They've become used to it. Oh, gosh. Um, I, I, um, for me, 
I see myself as a, an independent. Uh, I, I once said a real independent. That was out of you know. That's just in a, in, a, in the first spur of the moment. But I think we are all independents elected by the community. I think the difference between the Tills and myself are you know they are representative of a more wealthier electorate, uh, and I understand that they are funded by Climate Two Hundred. You got no money. No. So I, <laughs> my, my husband, um, obviously, we, we decided to run and, and contest the election. He was quite concerned because we were going to take the money out of our mortgage against our mortgage to do this. And he said, do you think, do you think you're going to win? And I said, well, I want to win. So that was my perspective was that I wanted to win. And, of course, there's that fear because you're up against a very high-profile individual who was a, senator, a sitting senator who've had the machinery and all of that. Um, you know, even as I speak with you now, that that, that little kind of, you know, uh, fear is kind of bubbling up again because that was how I felt while I said I wanted to win. And he said, well, let's give this a go. And we took, um, you know, the, the money against our house um, we did raise about, I think, $80,000 from the community through, you know, people donating from uh, $50, actually $25 even, to pensioners giving me $100. I just didn't want to take his money, I remember. I said, no, you're a pensioner. He goes, no, I want to contribute to your... And I think I felt so terrible, but he insisted. Um, and to those who can donate, you know, a couple of thousand dollars. And I raised 80000 So in total, I think my campaign cost about... I think about $160,000 or something like that, uh, when the AEC, I didn't even know how much. I tried to keep it under 90000 but it, I ended up spending about one hundred and sixty. and I thought to myself, oh, no, we spent too much money of our own money. And uh, and so so I think that's, you know, my we funded ourselves, and I felt so good because we funded it ourselves. And then in addition to that, the community at a time when there was a swing towards labour, our community went against the grain, went against the general tide of agreement. So that was another unique aspect of the election in itself. Um, and so I think I'm different in those aspects in terms of the election, in terms of the funding and the campaign. And it's by the people, I think, is very much supported because I had no media. The, the Climate 200 group had that support and had that media coverage. Mine was, I think, towards the last week or something, a couple of weeks before that I had more coverage because I I think I was in play as in the term of of uh, election was going I was my, I was in play so then there was the focus there and so the different obviously is I, I suppose the similarities that they were against ministers and uh, coalition members whereas I was against a very a former premier so there was some similarity there in terms of the profile that we were up against our community is definitely very different uh, our issues are different too. Obviously, uh, Climate 200 was what they were funded for and they came and they, that's what the community wanted. Mine was more about having a voice. We were really, from my perspective, our community were really taken for granted by the fact that the Labour Party put in somebody from Scotland Island to represent a very <laughs> low socioeconomic background community. That's, to me... If that's not taken for granted, I don't know what is. And, uh, and you know, our social, low socioeconomic communities also are different because, you know, as you started, stated from the start, we are the most culturally 
linguistically diverse communities very different to the other seats as well. So I can go. I can go on. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've. I think we've got the picture, and uh, I might just put in context your bargain basement campaign. Uh, some of the teals uh, spent a million or two million even uh, on their campaign. Or yeah. They and their supporters. So yeah. Very much bargain basement <laughs> over in Fowler. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, the crossbench, and there are sixteen of you now. Uh, Teals and others seem to be working together quite productively. You obviously don't vote together on many issues, but you do work together. How does that feel from your point of view? I, I think that's what I think that's what government should do, or you know, the leadership of the day should do of any organisations, or in the case of us, us Parliament, is that despite being so different in our electorate's needs and what we stand for and what our community want, we should be able to sit together and discuss where we can work together. Uh, I mean, yesterday, obviously, I supported Allegra's Citizen Assembly for Housing, uh, where we want to get the government to back this Citizen Assembly for Housing. This is Allegra Spender, the, uh, yeah, the, the teal, teal the, member, the, the, the for, member Wentworth. for Wentworth. She's a community member. It's a community independent. Uh, the member for Wentworth calling for a Citizen Assembly uh, on housing because what has happened till now uh, in terms of policy development around housing by both the coalition and um, the Labor Party when they're in government or in opposition, have not worked and have not delivered the housing, you know, stock, the issues that we, we are now facing. So uh, so I supported Allegra in that uh, and other crossbench did as well. So from my perspective, we can work together on issues that we see similarities. Of course, um, you know, in, in <laughs> for instance, uh, I found that when in speaking with Allegra that She's only got one public high school in in Wentworth, whereas in Fowler, I think we've got about 25. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, high schools. So there's, there's that difference in terms of, of, of our social uh, background or our community social background. And so, so I think that um, it's very important that the differences are respected uh, and that we can come and work together on similar issues that we share. And then we continue to advocate for our community. For I, I still advocate for cost of living. I still advocate for, for instance, the petrol levy because my community still drive petrol cars. And, and 80% of the community, 90%, 95% still drive petrol-driven cars. Whereas over the more affluent suburbs, they're pushing for electric vehicles. Uh, so those those are the differences. Just to finish briefly on your new network, so far the community candidate movement has been uh, more of a threat to Liberal MPs. What are the ambitions of your network, which you've just recently set up, and do you see the potential for community candidates to in fact threaten other Labor seats? Look, I, I, I hope that... Um, that what I'm trying to form is a voice for Western Sydney. Uh, really, you know, we have rural and regional voices in, in Indi and in uh, Rebecca Sharkey, for the member for Mayo, and of course Bob Catter, which is really wonderful because the, the, those live experiences and those experiences from those regions 
have a voice in Parliament. I think for me, for Western Sydney, while the major parties have got their uh, can or their members in in Parliament, the problem when you belong to a party, I have found, is that you can't speak out against a piece of policy that the government of the day will deliver how and how it impacts your community. So my aim and my hope is that we will grow. It's probably one step at a time, Michelle. I love I love um, the say the, the saying that. Um, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one small step. And I think it's one small step in hoping that the region of Western Sydney and Southwestern Sydney has somebody who's really fighting for the issues that we are passionate about. So the Labour Party better look out in Western Sydney for some of these community <laughs> candidates. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't want them to... I just think that, um, yeah, there'll be community candidates from Western Sydney. Di Lee, thank you very much for talking with us today. That's all from our Conversations Politics podcast, but we'll be back with another interview soon. Goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevear. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com. I'm Misha Ketchell, editor of The Conversation. We work with academic experts to make their work accessible so we can all be better informed. Everything we do is free to read and free to republish. Our only agenda is informing you, but we need your support. Every donation helps ensure quality information is available to everyone. Become a donor today. Go to donate.theconversation.com or follow the link in the show notes.